0: If you know me, you know that I'm a planner. Uh, I love my planner. I love having it uh, around. Uh, I love living my life by it. I have my one year goals that I break down into quarterly goals that are broken down into monthly goals that are broken down into uh, weekly three big goals uh, for those weeks. And things of that nature you know that's me and i'm trying to control my controllables and quite often god does something within uh, my life that says you realize that you are not in control right but god my planner says that i'm going to do this and god says okay you can believe that i have a plan for you i have a plan for what's about to happen and my plan is the plan that will prevail. That's what scripture tells us. Many are the plans of a man, but the Lord's plans will prevail. Part of the reason why I have this planner is because I want to have some semblance of control of my life. I want to have some semblance of I set things in order. I set things in place. And that's not a great thing to always have. Now you may be someone who, like me, uh, in the midst of all the things going on, you need something to kind of funnel your thinking down and help you to pray through, help you to actually accomplish things. And so I'm not coming against having a planner, but what I am saying is that it's very important for us to recognize that God is the one that should be directing and guiding every aspect of our life. But when those tough times come, I have to begin to count on the Lord and walk by faith. I have to expect that what God is leading me into that he is going to lead me out of, that he is going to provide for what he is asking me to do. That time where I need to walk in faith is extremely important for every single Christian because we know that without faith it is impossible to please God. And so God will put you in situations to where your faith is being perfected, where your faith is being strengthened. And so when we have those tests and when we have those trials that come into our life, those are opportunities for us to say, God, I know that you have called me to walk in this way and I will trust you in the midst of it. And so as we are, are having those moments, and if we can even recognize that, or if you're like me who wants to hold all control and have all the answers and is struggling with the idea of just trusting the Lord for the answers, well, then how do we get to that place where we are strengthening our faith? Well, the best place to go to to strengthen your faith in the Lord is Scripture. I don't want you to go to any other book. I don't even want you to go to any other person, including me, to just ask them, well, what's your opinion on how do I become a better person? That is not sufficient. What is sufficient is the scripture that has been the same yesterday, today, and forever. The scripture that has been the answer to everyone, no matter what generation you find yourself in. And so I am going to go to scripture today to pull out the the story of a man who lived by faith. And this man, his name is Elijah. And what's interesting, as you flip your Bibles to 1 Kings, I want you to look at 1 Kings, and we're going to go into chapter 17. We're going to look at a considerable portion, pretty much all of chapter 17 uh, on today. And as we look at 1 Kings chapter 17, I want you to understand that God is doing something pretty significant through this man, Elijah. So as we launch off into this series, I want to tie it back to the Bible study that we had been in in James. So many of you know, we have been in a Bible study in the midweek in James, and there is a verse in James 5 and 17. It says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. Now, why is this important? Well, James is saying that because at his time and even post his time, people were looking at Elijah as he's some super saint. That Elijah is someone who is outside of the realm of being a regular person. But what James is trying to do is to help us to understand that Elijah is just like us. And the things that he does, the things that he is able to do, it's through the hand of God because of his obedience. And that if we can be obedient in the same way Elijah was, God would be able to move in our lives in the same way that God was moving in Elijah's life. And so I want to encourage you with that. That as I'm using some words that we really don't like, like obedience... And dependency that you recognize that it is for the glory of God and for our own personal good amen amen Elijah was an ordinary man human just as we are and the things that he faced were not that different from the circumstances that we face but we potentially even have a greater access to God because of our relationship in Christ Elijah didn't have that relationship with Christ. But what's interesting is Elijah experienced a great power, so much so that he didn't even die. It says that God brought him to be with him. So that way we end up seeing Elijah in the Mount of Transfiguration with Christ, with Moses and Elijah. He's there. So, yes, he does do some special things, but I think that Elijah makes it because of his obedience. Elijah is there. Elijah goes to be with the Lord because of his confidence in the Lord. So our text focuses on this northern nation called Israel. At this point in time, the the nation of Israel is split in two. And you have the southern kingdom, which is Judah. and You have the northern kingdom, which is Israel. And Israel has its own king. And Israel's king, Ahab, is quite possibly the most wicked king that we're going to see in the Old Testament. That is a part of the the Hebrew uh, line. And so one of the things that he does is, so he rules for 22 years. And he does more evil than any of the previous kings. And what happens is the children's sins, what's happening in these generations, it's outpacing the previous generations. And God is saying, this is not how my people are supposed to be responding. So Ahab has this power. Ahab also has this wife. And this wife is part of the reason he's being led astray. He's going after her gods. She is not Hebrew. He's going after her customs. He's living in her ways. And so instead of him being an influence on her, she is being the influence on him. Now, it would seem to be a pretty dangerous time that if you have this ungodly king stepping in to this role and doing things in a very ungodly way, not honoring the Lord, that opposing this king would probably be a dangerous thing. This is not exactly the most favorable situation for God to send someone into, but that's exactly what God does with Elijah. A life of faith is a life of trusting God. And taking him at his word. A life of faith is trusting God. Trust God and take him at his word. It's one of the reasons why as we as we worship them, listening to those songs, a lot of it is just reminding us of how faithful God has been to his word. We have not always been faithful to our word. I don't know if you're like me, that there are times in your life where you've wanted to do something. Maybe you've even said you were gonna do something. Maybe you've even launched out to start to do that thing, but you did not complete that thing. There is nothing that God has started that he won't bring to completion. There is nothing that God has promised that he won't bring into fruition. And we see that through the life of Elijah. And one of the things that we see through Elisha is this unconditional obedience. That's a scary term for a lot of us, unconditional obedience, because we are not a people who do anything unconditionally. We have not been accustomed to that, but let's look at it. Let's look at verse one. Now, Elijah, the Tishbite of Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. And the word of the Lord came to him, depart from here and turn eastward and hide yourself by the brook, Cherith, which is east of the Jordan. You shall drink from the brook and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. He went and lived by the brook, Cherith, that is east of Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening. And he drank from the brook. And after a while, the brook dried up because there was no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him, arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. So he arose and went to Zarephath. And he and when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks, just as the Lord said. And he called and said to her. Bring me a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to bring it, he called to her and said, Bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. And she said, As the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And now I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son, that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said to her, Do not fear and do as you have said, but first make a little cake of it and bring it to me and afterward make something for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, the jar of flour shall not be spent and the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. And she went and did as Elijah said, and she and he and her household ate for many days. The jar of flour was not spent, neither did, neither did the jug of oil become empty, according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by Elijah. Amen? Amen. So what's interesting is that we jump into this particular passage, and this is the first time that we're hearing of Elijah. We don't get his full backstory. We just jump straight in and it's like, oh, and then there was a guy named Elijah. And he was from Tishbe and, 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 and then he moves. Like, literally within the first two, three sentences, it goes from, there's a man named Elijah, this is where he's from, and this is what he said. And at this point, he's already talking to the king. He's talking to the wicked king. He's telling the wicked king a judgment upon the people of Israel. Now, again, the reason why he's giving him this judgment is because of this king. Because of the sins of this king and because of the sins of the people of Israel. So we don't know a ton about Elijah, but what we know is that he moved swiftly. That when the Lord called him to say something, to do something, he was moving. Now, while we don't know much about him, we know that he trusted in the word of the Lord because we see it repeatedly in these first 16 verses. Verse number one, we see his obedience in delivering the word of judgment as the Lord, the God of Israel lives before whom I stand There shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. Now, of course, as you guys know, dew and rain are extremely important to any particular region, especially during this particular time. They're an agrarian culture and they have all of their crops. They are so dependent on making sure that the rain comes. But this became one of the issues is that Jezebel, Ahab's wife, she was a believer in a priestess in following after Baal. Now Baal was an idol, but they worshipped him because they believed Baal was the fertility god that brought rain, that brought produce, that brought success. And so the people of Israel were following after their king and turning their hearts to worshipping an idol because she had worshipped the idol, because he had worshipped the idol, because they believed now that this was the provision and so this starts to make sense as, the, uh, as God pronounces judgment on them, he says, you keep praying to that idol. And I'm going to go ahead and shut up the skies. You believe that this idol is the one that is providing rain for you? Well, let me show you who's providing rain for you. And Elijah says, there will be no rain on this land until I say so. Until the Lord, our God, says so. And it directly challenges what they believe, it directly challenges who they are. Now, the people believed in this God so much that it actually went on for over three years. There was a drought in this land. And Elijah's word from Yahweh was an honoring exactly what God said. He's a man of his word. He's a God of his word. In Deuteronomy chapter 11, this is exactly what he says. Take care, lest your hearts be deceived. And you turn aside and serve other gods and worship them. Then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you and he will shut up the heavens so that there will be no rain and the land will yield no fruit. And you will perish quickly off the good land that the Lord has given you. So God prophesies this hundreds of years in advance that they will eventually get to the point where they are not seeking after him where they are not following the word that he had laid before them. And he told them in advance, be careful. Do not worship others. Do not seek after the other gods of the land. Only follow after me. And when, he, when they do this, God follows through with what he says. But delivering this message could have gotten him killed as he spoke to this wicked king. But what's interesting is Elijah still, he has unconditional obedience to God. He stands before this king and he gives this this command, he gives this declaration that this is not going to happen until God says so, until I open up my mouth to be able to speak on behalf of the Lord. Now, what's interesting here is that we go on further and it says the word of the Lord came to him, telling him to hide uh, by the brook uh, where he would drink and God would command the ravens to feed him there. And so Elijah is told to say this to the king, and then immediately we see that Elijah is told to go hide uh, in this this particular area by this particular brook. But he goes ahead and does it. but there's a little bit of tension in this because the question is, why does he go? Does he go out of fear because he just made this proclamation and Ahab is going to come after him and kill him or the people are going to come after him and kill him? Or is there a second option where maybe he doesn't even trust himself. That is, he sees the people who are are languishing in this famine for three years. What if he relented? What if he turned aside from what God was telling him to do because he loved the people more than he loved to honor God? I believe that Elijah would have followed God. He's shown himself to be a pretty faithful guy, but there is that temptation as a leader There is that temptation as a leader to to see things in a particular way. Even last week, we were talking about how Moses, because of the hardness of the hearts of the people, he gave them a decree, an opportunity for divorce. He swayed to their command, even though God said he hated divorce. And so... There is that opportunity for leaders to sway when they're in the presence of the people. And so what God did was God told him to go and hide himself, seclude himself in a particular place. And while he was in that particular place, God showed himself to be consistently faithful. I don't know about you, but if God told me, hey, Fikre, I want you to go to this particular place and just trust me that uh, food will show up every single day. Just trust me. Now, Elijah would have known uh, historically that God had shown up to his children of Israel and fed them with manna and quail and all these things. So he knows that God can do it. But his situation is a little bit different. It's not all of God's people. He's saying that in the midst of a famine, I'm still going to provide for you, man of God, because you're obedient. They have not been obedient, but you have been obedient. And so since you have been obedient, I'm going to make sure that you are taken care of even in the midst of the famine. And so while there's no water somewhere else, I'm going to take you to a place where there's water. And while all the food and all the cattle is drying up in all these other places, I'm going to make sure that you have meat to eat. So much so that you don't even have to get up and get and get it. I'm going to send it to you. It's going to come straight to you. And it says, so he went and did according to what the Lord said. No questioning or discussion, just unconditional obedience. But as time passed, the effects of the drought became even more severe and it even hit where he was. And so God says to him, I want you to get up. After you've trusted me in this place, I want you to get up and I want you to go to Zarephath. I want you to go and there's going to be a woman there and that woman is going to care for you. When you get there. And so he goes and he sits outside the gate and there comes a woman. And I got to assume that God is pointing him saying, ask her, ask her for water. But he goes and he does this. And it says that he arose and went to Zarephath. God spoke to him. And what did he do? He moved. God goes after sustaining him with the food from the ravens to now he's sustaining him with a woman. But this is not just any other woman. This is not a woman, a Hebrew woman. This is a non-Hebrew woman. He's gonna end up doing something special in her life and he's gonna end up doing something special for all of us because of her faith. So he talks to this woman and this woman starts to tell him, I got nothing. Look, I can go get you some water, but why are you asking me for bread? I wish you understood, do you not know that there's a famine in the world? Do you not know that there is no food around? Of course, he knows what's going on. He's the reason why there is no food around. He's the reason why there's a famine, why there's a drought. And she's telling him, I'm gathering sticks that we might have our last meal, that me and my son will eat and just die. We give up. We quit. But God had sent Elijah to that particular place so that he might be able to be a sustaining force for her and an encouragement to her. And so even in the midst of their trials, even in the midst of the struggle, God is sending again someone just like God sent the ravens to feed Elijah. God is now sending Elijah to this woman to be a blessing to her. And she is going to be a blessing to him. In every situation, when the Lord, when the word of the Lord came to Elijah, his response was immediate and unconditional obedience. Is that your response when you hear the word of the Lord? Be honest with you, it's, it's, it's a struggle. It's a struggle, but as a parent, I see that consistently. I see that, that within me, I'm asking for unconditional obedience from my kids. But when God is asking me for unconditional obedience, I have to say, but God, you know, if you move these things off of my plate, I'd be available to, to do all the things that you ask me to do. Instead of when God says, go do, I say yes and just move. But we see this in Elijah's life that as God has consistently asked him to move, he moves and God shows up in mighty ways so much so that there are very few people who have done more miracles than Elijah. There are very few people who have seen the power of God move in their lives like Elijah. We do the same thing. Do we do the same thing? When was the last time that you heard God speak? And what did he talk to you about? Did you write it down to make sure that you followed it? Did you go back to it to remember what he said to you? To remind yourself of what's going on? Did you respond with unconditional obedience? Or did you explain it away and argue with God? And say, well, I'm going to get to it, God, eventually, when things are right. So I want to highlight something here. That what we see is judgment upon the people comes because of Ahab, but also because Ahab is following after someone else. He's following after his queen, Jezebel. And so the people are following after Ahab. Ahab is following after Jezebel. And the people are committing sin. The People are sinning. They're going away from the Lord. They're being disobedient to God, doing things that he had commanded them not to. So let me say this to you. Be careful who you follow. Be careful who you follow and be careful who you partner with because if you're single and you are looking for someone and you're looking for someone in the wrong place, Ahab found his wife among non hebrew people. So what kind of a woman would she be if he's going to find her in a place that godly people were not? And so I'm encouraging you, those who are still looking for, make sure that you are going to the place where godly people are. And make sure that you are going and pursuing someone who is already doing the work, who is already producing fruit and evidence that they follow the Lord. Not just with lip service, but follow people who are following the Bible. Partner with people who are actively trusting and being obedient to the Lord. But there's also a parallel here, as I mentioned before, that there's another non-Hebrew woman that gives us... uh, what it looks like to trust a godly leader. This woman that Elijah was sent to, she hears him and she actually says that he is a man of God. She actually says this to him, that as Elijah said, do not fear and go as, I'm sorry, as the Lord your God lives. So there is a understanding of the Yahweh. There is an understanding of the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. She doesn't know him but she knows of him, and God sends Elijah to her. And as he sends Elijah to her, she begins to trust in him. And Elijah does this great miracle by providing for her and her son, so much so that she invites him to come and stay and be, to to live with her, to be closer in fellowship and communion with her. And in the process of doing that, she actually comes to a full faith in the Lord. So we see these two parallels that, one, Ahab is following after a non-Hebrew woman who leads him astray. But we see this non-Hebrew woman follow after the man of God, and it leads her to God. It leads her to affirm faith and trust in God. Now, why is this important? Because there's a lot of people, when you share your faith, that will say something to the effect of, I can't believe in a God who would forget about all the other people who are not Hebrew. Well, what about the people who have never heard of Jesus? What about the people in the the Amazon? What about people who are at the farthest reaches of the earth? Does God not care about them? I just can't serve a God who doesn't care about them. Well, we have evidence throughout scripture where every time there was a believer, whether it's in the Old Testament or whether it's in the New Testament, we have the opportunity to be the light of God within the earth and it draws people to him. We see that several times that God will, even in the Old Testament, take in a, a non-Hebrew person and they will come to faith in God because of the testimony of the believer. And so when someone says something like that to you, what they're saying is, oh, I can't, I can't trust in that God. And you just respond to them with this. God sends us as Christians into the world that we might be the light, that someone would ask us for the hope that lies within us and hopefully our testimony, the way that we live and the words that we speak would draw them. So the reason why someone might live this life and never know about God is because I'm not being the light. I'm not being the witness I'm supposed to be. It's not because God is a horrible God. It's not because God is vindictive in me. It's because I'm being disobedient. It's because I'm not going to the places where God is telling me to go. I'm not listening to him when he tells me to go and ask for this lady to get you a, a drop of water. And when you do that, it will change her life. So go and do the little things because it can change someone's life. So what's remarkable about the story of Elijah is that each time the word of the Lord came to him, he responds with unconditional obedience. There's a promise of provision with each of God's commands. But the way to experience the provision was through obedience. God went before Elijah in each situation as he commanded the ravens. He commanded the ravens that they were going to feed him. He commanded this widow that she was going to be able to help Elijah. And God goes before us, before our obedience and prepares a way for what he desires to see happen. It will come to pass. So he's working all these promises out, but to experience this, we have to walk in faithful obedience. You're going to get sick and tired of me saying that. Obedience, obedience, obedience. Not to me, to the word of God, to the word of God, to the word of God. I have to be obedient to the word of God. You have to be obedient to the word of God. We are all standing on the same rock that will not fail. Jesus. Uh, It it is said of him that says, therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under earth and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God, the father. And the reason why that was bestowed upon him is because Jesus is an even greater example of obedience. We delved deep into this about two months ago when we talked about the fact that everything that Jesus said and everything that Jesus did was because the father told him to do it. I mean, a whole life full of obedience. I don't know what brought Elijah to this moment. Maybe there were some seasons in his early uh, before he was a prophet life where he wasn't as obedient as he was in these moments. But what I do know about Jesus is that he was obedient in every stage of his life, obedient even unto death. And so as we as believers, as Christians, are asking ourselves, well, why am I supposed to follow every every single thing that the Lord says? The reason why we do so is because Jesus did so. And we are Christians. We are followers after Christ. And if he was following after every word of the father, then what should we do? We should do no less. A life of faith is a life trusting God and taking him at his word. Now, it's not just unconditional obedience that we see, but it's the complete dependence that we see. Elijah has a complete dependence on God. Think of it. He has no home. Where did he just spend the last three years on the side of on the side of a mountain? He just spent this time in the seclusion. And now he's coming to this place where he has his own room. He has his own room in this house, but it's not his room. It's the lady's house. He's not out there plowing the fields, one, because there's no fields to be plowed. He's in complete dependence upon what the Lord is providing through other people. So we come to King 17, verse 17, and it reads like this. After the son, uh, after this, the son of the woman, the mistress of the house became ill and his illness was so severe that there was no breath left in him. So he died. And she said to Elijah, what have you against me, O man of God? You have come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to cause the death of my son. And he said to her, give me your son. And he took him from her arms and carried him up into the upper chamber where he lodged and laid him on his own bed. And he cried to the Lord, "O Lord, my God, have you brought calamity even unto the widow with whom I sojourned by killing her son? Then he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried to the Lord, O Lord, my God, let this child's life come into him again. And the Lord listened to the voice of Elijah. And the life of the child came into him again, and he revived. And Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper chamber into the house and delivered him to his mother. And Elijah said, See, your son lives. And the woman said to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God. And that the word of the Lord in your mouth is truth. The transition. We start off with this trusting voyage of of him going to the brook and then him going to the city. Then it becomes really tragic, really quick. This boy who has gone through this loss of, of everything that he has known in the world. He's in this famine and he's trusting the Lord for his bread and his water every single day. But what happens? And this little boy dies. His mother is heartbroken. And she begins to, to go to Elijah. And she says, What was the point of all this? Why would God provide for us bread and, and all this time just for him to die? Because he gets. Why didn't he just die then? Why did he have to endure the suffering and die now? Why do I have to endure the heartache of watching my son die? At least then we would have died together. have you brought this upon me and then she brings out this whole idea that is very well known amongst the people in this time is that death is a consequence of sin we get very far from that now but she goes to Elijah and she says to him you bring about some sin some hidden sin because my son is dying now why would everybody's gonna know that there's something wrong because my son is dead But that's not what happens. Elijah says, give me the boy. He says, give me your son. And he goes up and Elijah cries out to the Lord in two prayers, he cries a prayer of lament. He is in the moment with this woman's pain and he's had a relationship with this boy. He's been around him and he's in that moment and he's crying out to God. God, why is he dead? God, what's going on here? Then he makes a second prayer and he says, Oh Lord, my God, let this child's life come into him again. He says, God, I trust you. Please let this, his life come back to him. He does this thing and I, I got to explain it. And he lays over the child three times and it's not 100% sure exactly where that process comes from, where, why they would do that. It actually is countercultural for him to be a prophet or a man of God that he would even touch this dead body and so for him to touch this dead body laying over him three times i don't know is that an allusion to the three days that jesus was in the tomb is what what is it not 100 percent sure but what happens in the midst of this is we could potentially be seeing that there was a transference That he is doing something very similar to when Jesus lays his hands on the leper, an unclean person, and that leper is made clean. That he himself, a clean prophet, an obedient prophet, is laying on this child and what should have made him unclean or dead has now made this child clean and alive. God steps into this moment because he is completely dependent on the move of the Lord. There is nothing Elijah can do. Elijah claims, he didn't tell the mother, oh, I'm going to make him alive. He just said, give me your son. And he goes to a secret place and prays, a private place and prays and beseeches the Lord. But remember, he is a humble and obedient man. And in his obedience, he asks the Lord for something. Now, I want you to think about this. Many of us come into scriptures where the Lord says, ask anything in my name and I will give it. And we start just commanding stuff. Lord, I need you to make me prosperous. Lord, I need you to make whatever my hands touch happen. And God is like, you are not an obedient people. You are not seeking after my own heart. You are not seeking after the things that I am asking you to seek after. Yet you come to me asking me for things. But here we have Elijah, who is a man who is obedient after God's own heart. And yet he asked God for this thing. And what does God do? God gives it to him. God brings life. He's not asking for a Lamborghini. He's not asking for a mansion. He's not asking for a vacation that he absolutely needs. He's saying, bring life, oh God. You who are alive, not Baal, who is not alive. You, the living God, bring life into this child. And when he does it, this non-Hebrew woman believes and trusts in the Lord. She trusts in the word of the Lord. When we have unconditional obedience, when we have complete dependence on God, life's changed. What happens is we want to do like everybody else does. Hey, the king is following after Baal, so must be right. He's got all the money. He's got all the power. And that's what I want. I want to be like him. I want to be rich. I want to be the one that people turn to. Elijah is sitting by himself eating food from birds. I don't want to be like that. I want to be in the palace, so I'm going to do after, do what he does. So why do we look at Elijah? We look at Elijah because we are people who trust in God. And if you are someone who trusts in God, then you got to do things in a very unconditional way, it's not the way of the world. The way of the world would say, oh, well, you have to, you know, do this and cut these corners here and make sure that you present yourself in this particular way. And then maybe you'll be able to be seen and then maybe you'll be able to have this opportunity. And if you save this amount of money, then you'll have this. And maybe if you take advantage of this uh, scheme over here, you'll be able to have this power. Or I can't tell you how many times people approach me with how to have a successful church how to grow, have the fastest growing congregation in the United States. Is that, I don't, I don't see that in here. There is nothing in here that tells me that's what you're supposed to be doing, pastor. You should be seeking after the metrics that have the fastest growing congregation, then people will believe. Be faithful, be obedient, be consistent. Then people will believe. The goal is for you to trust in the Lord. If you don't trust in the Lord currently, if you're somebody who is saying, you know what, honestly, I'm just here because I I was told to come. My wife said so, my husband said so, my mama said so. God has you here for a reason. God has you here for a purpose. And the purpose and that reason is so that you might be able to trust in Jesus Christ. Jesus is why we have all come. You may have heard us sing worship to our God, talking about how good he is. Yeah. And so many of these people who are saying, you are good, you're good, oh, are going through heaven. But yet they still call him good because they know that that is the truth. I know that that is the truth. That in the times where my life was falling apart, God was still good to me. God was still providing for me. I've had seasons where very similar to Elijah, food showed up. Where there was no way out of no way. I had no idea where it came from, but it showed up. Provision showed up. I remember going to pay off a balance when I was in college and it had already been paid. I don't know who paid it. My mom swears it wasn't her. But God provides, not just financially, not just with food, but God provides with hope. There are so many times where we face this life where we're feeling like I can't I I can't make it another day. I can't make it one more step. Well, trust God for the next step. Trust God for where he is leading you and that he will get you there. My encouragement to you today is trust in Jesus. My encouragement to you today is have an unconditional faith in Jesus. My encouragement to you today is to trust him with all obedience. Wherever he may take you, wherever he may lead you, just trust him.